starting a new book of the Bible. We are averaging about one book every three years. See, we believe here at Willow Hills Church that, uh, you know, we want to have passionate worship and excitement and all that. We also want to go deep into the Word and, uh, and, and pick it apart and chew on it. That's how we grow. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. And so we need to be digesting the Word of God um, as much as we can. So, so we take our time on this. No hurry. And God throws in some little uh, caveats here and there to slow it down even further. But uh, this is the book. There's a number of reasons why I uh, wanted to study 1 Corinthians. Um, I, I believe it's a real timely book for our church right here now. It is, for one thing, one of the most community-oriented books of the Bible, uh, building unity, building a sense of identity among these people. Um, that's something that God really wants to do here at Wilderness Church, to develop an, a, a more intense su- uh, sense of usness, of we-ness. Um, one of the things that I'm very aware of is that when we uh, get our permanent home uh, right there on the parameters of St. Paul in that Kmart building, um, I anticipate that usually attendance goes down a little bit at first because whenever you move, you lose some people along the way, but then very quickly, I think it's going to explode. Uh, this, the history of this church has been one of explosion, and God's just touching a lot of people's lives, and I sense that that's going to increase and intensify even further, uh, which means this: I believe if we're going to really accommodate that and minister that effectively, we need to shore up the, the parameters now and really build a sense of community now. We are the community that's going to go there. And uh, so I'm praying that God will use this book as, as, among other things, to build a sense of we-ness, of us-ness in this community. Uh, there are issues that the Corinthians dealt with that, that we deal with. Corinth was a, uh, was, was, had a reputation of being one of the most carnal cities in the ancient world. In fact, they used to have a slogan. Uh, when someone was really acting like a sleaze, they would call them uh, Corinthian. Or acting like a Corinthian. Uh, that's the reputation they had. It was uh, a real loose city. And... Um, uh, so a lot of the Christians that got saved there, in fact, almost all of the Christians who got saved there were pagans who converted to Christianity and brought in some of their old lifestyle and the low standard that their culture set into their Christian walk. So Paul had to do a lot of confrontation in this letter. I think we are in a Corinthian kind of situation in our culture. Uh, we have a culture that does not at all have any sort of intuitive sense about the will of God regarding uh, certain moral matters. And so when people become Christians, a lot of times they acclimate to their culture. And we need the book of Corinthians to kind of confront these things in our life. We'll find here a lot of issues that are just really important to us. Issues about marriage, issues about sexuality, issues about brotherhood and getting along, issues about evangelism, issues about gifts of the Spirit. Um, that's a, 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 an area that I think God wants to grow us in. And we find in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 13, and 14, a long discussion about the proper use of the gifts of the Spirit. So there's a lot here for us that we're going to get into. So if you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Corinthians, and I want to open with a word of prayer. I want to thank God right now that right at this very juncture, I am um, feeling stronger than I have all morning. I, I got up this morning feeling lousy. That's why I dress so well. If, I, if, I, if I'm going to look, feel bad, I'm going to look good. Don't I look good? I, I'm the best dressed person in this place. Um, but I woke up, just, I've been hacking all week and, and hacking last night. My voice was virtually gone and um, uh, prayed over it the first service, prayed over it last night. And right now it's feeling pretty good. I mean, it maybe didn't sound that good, but compared to what it was, isn't it sound, huh? Plus I'm, I'm, I'm ODing on these throw lozenges. These help. So a little bit of grace, a little bit of throw lozenges. We're doing well. Uh, but pray that God will strengthen me. Pray that the Word of God will go forth. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, we come before you uh, opening up this book of the Bible that you marvelously anointed Paul to write to the uh, Christians at Corinth. 
Lord, we pray that it would minister to us the way it ministered to them, Lord God. We pray, Lord God, right now we want to set this whole study, however long it takes, and consecrate it unto you. And to say out loud, Lord, that this message this morning and every message henceforth uh, has one purpose in mind and one purpose only, and that is to glorify you by changing the lives of, of the people who constitute your bride. Lord God, and so uh, we, we just pray, Lord God, that you'd uh, use this word to uh, accomplish that in our lives. Father, I thank you, Lord, for the way that you're working in my throat right now, Lord. I feel strength. Uh, Lord, I pray you'd continue that. Hallelujah. And Lord God, however strong, however weak the voice may be, I pray, Lord God, that you'd anoint it in Jesus' name. Father, let your spirit land on it and change us. Lord God, bring conviction in our life, bring understanding in our life, and help us to rise up to be the community, the army, the bride that you've called us to be. Praise God. Lord, I just want to say that I am so honored to be able to have any role in this at all. Lord God, and all of us are so privileged to even know who you are and to be uh, your people and the fellowship like this in this body in which you're changing lives and doing such great things. Continue it, Lord. Just continue it. We relinquish the responsibility to build the church over to you. You said, I will build my church. Greg doesn't build it. Norm doesn't build it. Uh, Lord God, you build it. You build it. And just use whoever you see fit in the process. We pray in your name. And all God's people said, Amen. 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 Okay, let's dive in. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 1. And I encourage you to bring your Bibles. Um, uh, I usually read out of the NRSV, but the NIV is fine. You know, bring any version you want. I sometimes go out of the NIV. Basically, I, I, I lose so many Bibles that, I, I, that whichever one I can find is what I bring. But I like the NRSV best. Uh, verse 1. Paul, called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. Note that. He didn't run for office here. Uh, Paul was kind of yanked into this. Now, he had a choice in the matter. He says to Agrippa in verse 26, or chapter 26 of the book of Acts, I was not disobedient when I saw that heavenly vision. Paul could have been disobedient. Still, God exercised a, an incredible influence on him to bring him into the church and make him this apostle. So Paul wasn't like trying to run for office or, you know, this wasn't something that anyone voted on. He was an apostle by the will of God. And he, he just kind of puts that out there. Paul, an apostle, not by his own choosing. Paul, an apostle, not by his own running for office. Paul, an apostle, not by his own politicking. If Paul had his brothers, he wouldn't have done this. But Paul was an apostle by the will of God, praise God. And our brother Sosthenes, that's his companion then. Verse 2, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, together with all those who in every place call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. I, I, just, I love the power of the Word of God that uh, even in verses that you think maybe are kind of uh, incidental and mundane and boring, there is a word of truth. This verse, uh, you know, you can read it on one level and think, oh, that's just an introduction, you know, mundane and boring. To the church of Corinth, yada, yada, yada. But see, if you stop and, and, and you, you meditate a little bit and pick apart the Word of God, uh, there is such a treasure here, um, a depth uh, here that I hope to just unpack a little bit. I want to encourage you, before I dive into this, uh, to, make, to make the Bible your friend, uh, to read it on a regular basis. You may not understand all of it, but don't, don't think that you can't get benefit from it even when you don't understand it. Don't become codependent on me or any other preacher to interpret the Word for you. Use what, whoever God puts out there to help you understand it. Praise God, that's fine. But, but, but don't ever become a... a, a sort of a second step removed uh, Christian, where you're two steps removed from the Bible. Read it yourself. 
The Bible says that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. You need to be reading it. It, needs to be, it has the power on your life to affect change uh, just by getting into it. And you might find that when you meditate on things and chew on them a little bit, stuff starts to come to the surface that otherwise wouldn't come to the surface. So let's just hover here on verse 2 this morning. On this mundane, looks like a kind of boring verse, and see what it has for us. Paul says to the church of God. That's interesting. Wasn't the church of Joe or the church of Pastor Bill or the church of Pastor Melissa? It was to the church of God. Who owns the church? Who runs the church? Who bought the church? You're seeing a pattern here. It's the church of God. And everybody who's in the church belongs to God. You're owned by God. You're bought with a price. Just want to make sure we knew who the owner was. Okay. To the church of God. That is in Corinth. Now, one other thing about church of God. When we think of church, like, what church do you go to? We think of a building, don't we? Well, there's a church right in the corner there, and then there's this church over here, and that church is a real nice steeple, and this church has stained glass windows, and this church has a good parking lot, and this... Okay, so we, we usually talk about uh, something that happens inside of a building. So when we hear, you know, to the church of God at Corinth, we decline to think that there's this, like, giant church at Corinth. Like, there's one church sitting at Corinth. And Paul says, oh, I've got to write a letter to the, to the you know, church at Corinth. So he writes the letter, and, and go, it, the mailman drops it off at the building. But it didn't work like that. We didn't have buildings like that until the 4th and 5th centuries. You know that? Uh, uh, Christians didn't start off in the Gospels first preached. They didn't start off building big buildings. My golly, they were, they were uh, um, trying to hide from the Roman government half the time and they trying to you know, keep from getting fed lions. What would happen? The word church means, uh, the word in Greek is ekklesia. And it means called out ones. Those who are separated, who are called out. The church doesn't refer to a building, it refers to a people. That's why we say over and over and over again here within this church, you are the church. You are the church. It, it's not a building and it will never be a building. It's always been and it will always be the people who maybe meet in a building, but the church is the people. The building is where the church meets. Are you following this? So Paul writes to the church at Corinth. He's writing to the called out ones. Whoever names the name of Christ, whoever names the name of Christ is a called out one. To, to all, he says here in verse 2, everybody... You, along with everybody else, who calls upon the name of the Lord, both their Lord and ours, you are a called out one, and I'm writing to you. And they happen to live at Corinth. What would happen is these early believers would meet in each other's houses. That was their church. Uh, they'd get together any, anywhere from once a week to every day of the week. We know from Plinia, an, uh, an uh, author in the second century, that Christians frequently would get together, and uh, every day of the week, every morning, they'd have breakfast, they'd have communion, they'd pray together, they'd read the Bible and do other things. They'd have a little worship service. That was their church. And so what Paul was doing is he'd write a letter and he'd want them to circulate it among all those house churches. Now these Christians would get together for big group gatherings like this whenever they could. But often they couldn't because of the political situation. So their real community was involved in small groups. We find that in Acts 2. They'd meet together in each other's households. It's one of the reasons why we believe that small groups are vitally important. Uh, there's a dimension of your Christianity that kicks into gear when you're involved in a small group that doesn't happen when you're involved in an event like this. God uses an event like this. Praise God, it is good. We need to develop a sense of community with this event. But we need to also have relationships that are more and more closely knit than we can possibly do uh, on a weekend gathering with uh, 3,000 other people. So Paul writes this letter to the Corinthians and wants it to be circulated among all these house churches. So he addresses it to the church, to the called out ones who live at Corinth. I love the simplicity of that. Think about this for a little bit. Paul... He didn't, have to, he, he didn't have to write one letter to the Baptists and another letter to the Lutherans. 
And then another letter to make sure the Pentecostals don't feel left out. And then, of course, you, you have the Catholics. And He didn't have to do that. He didn't have to write one letter to Woodland Hills Church and another one to Woodcrest Church and another one to Wooddale Church and another one to Wood Valley Church. And all the, what's with all the wood churches these days? I don't get it. But hey, we're one of them, I guess. So there must be something to do it. Um, he didn't have to do that. He just writes one letter to you Christians, to the, all, whoever belongs to God, whoever names the name of Christ, I'm writing to you. I love the simplicity of that. They had a lot of diversity in the early church. It wasn't like they were all united on everything. We sometimes get this mythological idea that, that differences of opinion are a new phenomenon, but they're not. They had all sorts of differences of opinion back then. I mean, you read the, the book of Corinthians, they had some weird stuff going on. Uh, people worshipped different. They had different styles. They even had some different theologies. We'll find out later when we get to verse 15, chapter 15 some year that, uh, they, that some people were baptizing for the dead. They were having a like proxy baptism for the dead. And uh, Paul doesn't condone that, but there it is. It's right there. The, the Corinthians were doing it. They had people who actually thought the resurrection had already taken place. You know, most people are, like waiting for the rapture or some kind of second coming. There are people in this church, this is how weird they were, they thought that the, that, that had already happened and that they were already living in heaven, that they had resurrected bodies. We'll find this a little bit later on. And that, that the resurrection had already occur, occurred. Eh, you know, weird. But Paul, he calls them all Christians. They had differences of opinion, but he says, you know what, to the called out ones. Because Paul has such an exalted view of Jesus Christ. He holds Jesus Christ up in such a high regard that he understands that anybody who knows Christ and is saved by Christ, who is in love with Christ, uh, who has accepted the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, anybody who uh, names the name of Christ, what they have in common with one another over and against the world dwarfs whatever differences they may have. Amen? See what I'm saying? And that's about how high up, how important is Jesus Christ to you. Now, Paul doesn't think that these other differences are inconsequential. He talks about them. But the point is this. What Paul sees and what we've got to see, it's a thing that we hit on quite a bit, is that the differences in the body of Christ are okay. Those are rather normal. But those differences, if we name the name of Christ, if we hold Christ in common, they must never become divisions. When they do become divisions, at that point we can know that it is not God who is operative, it is the enemy, amen? Because the enemy is the one who knows that a kingdom divided against itself cannot stand. What's going on today, you see, Paul had such a broad view of the church. Uh, these Corinthians were really whacked out in a lot of areas. And there were other Christians who were whacked out in a lot of areas. But Paul considers them believers, part of the one body of Christ. Because despite the differences, they name the name of Christ. One point in, in uh, uh, the book of Philippians, Paul's in prison. And there are people out there, preachers out there, who are even malicious towards Paul. They're, 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 they don't like Paul. They're competing with Paul. And their motivation is poor. But Paul says in the book of Philippians, he says, you know what, I thank God. These people, they, they preach Christ with, with malice, but at least they're preaching Christ. And they're part of the body of Christ. And I thank God for them. I thank God wherever, uh, uh, wherever Christ is preached. Think about that. What that says is it says, uh, it's not about how liberal and tolerant Paul was. It's about how high, in what high regard he held Jesus Christ. Where Jesus Christ is being preached, if, if, if these people don't like me, that's kind of inconsequential. Even if their motive is not bad, well, it should be better, but you know what? They're preaching Christ. God is doing a work, and I thank God for that. We've come a long way, I think, in some respects. Where we have, in some circles now, people who, no matter what God is doing through uh, the ministry of a person, 
if they don't quite agree on every single point of doctrine or on some fine-tuned points of theology, they'll spend more time trying to get them out of their fellowship than they ever spend trying to get people into their fellowship. That's not quite the way Paul thought about things. Those who have ears to hear, let them hear. Uh, it's, uh, you see, that there's something amiss. It's about your estimation of Christ. How important, how central is the person of Jesus Christ? We have found, and this, this is a sad situation today, but God's changing it, so I'm optimistic, but we still need to be prophetic about this. It has simply been a result of the enemy making inroads in the church that the church today is so doggone divided. So doggone divided. Uh, maybe we're not usually at war with one another, though we find occasion to do that as well, but we don't cooperate together like, like one, uh, one, one church, one army, one body of called out ones should cooperate. We find every possible way we could ever divide things up, we divide them up. We've got people divided, churches divided along denominational lines. Okay? So they put their label on. We're Baptist, we're Pentecostal, we're this, we're that. You know, we've got our denominational, billions of different denominations. In fact, we've got 120 different kinds of Baptists in America alone. 120! I'm feeling ill. If that's, what are they, you've got to be looking for something. Someone's got to be sitting around saying, what can we disagree with? We've got to start a new fraction here. Uh, I know that they, they're, 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 their carpeting is not right. Well, we'll get new carpeting. What do you dis, what, there's not that much in the Bible to disagree on, but we find a way to do it. And that's just Baptist. And then the Methodists got their own divisions going. The Episcopalians got their own divisions going. And we all divide with, with each other. We divide things up according to denomination. We divide things up according to who we follow. I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a follower of Luther. I'm a follower of Calvin. I'm a follower of Wesley or what have you. We'll find that that's what the Corinthians were doing as well. We divide things up according to name. Everyone's got a different name. Wouldn't it be nice? And Maybe I'm dreaming here. I don't know where I'm going with this. I just like to preach however it comes out, but, but God will take care of it. Um, but, you know, wasn't it? You know, we got Woodland Hills here. Woodland, I don't know what's wood about it. I don't know what's hills about us. I don't know why we're called Woodland Hills. But we're called Woodland Hills. And next to us is Woodcrest and Wooddale and all the other wood churches. And then you got the First Baptist, Second Baptist, Third Baptist, Fourth Baptist. You know, and the First Presbyterian, Second, Third, Fourth Presbyterian. I heard that we have a Seventh Presbyterian Church in a city here somewhere in America. Seventh Presbyterian Church. If that is the most distinctive thing about you, is that you were Seventh on the block, you really need to find something else to preach about because there's, there's not much life in that. You see... But what all those things do is it just divides things. What would you think about McDonald's if every McDonald's was called a different name? McDonald's, McDougal's, McDiggles, McBee's. You, know, you wouldn't know that, 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 it's, that it's really all part of one food chain. You see? Well, how on earth, somebody tell me, how is the world going to know that we're really all just believers? We're all just called out ones here in the Twin Cities whether we find every way to communicate to the world that we're not on the same side, that we're really against one another, that we're territorial, that we compete with one another, and all the other kind of demonic nonsense that we do. It, it shouldn't be. That is of the devil, somebody say amen. That's not of God. A kingdom divided against itself cannot stand. Maybe, I don't know, maybe we should, when we move to our permanent home, call it uh, Church of the St. Paul area that meets at the building formerly known as Kmart or something. I don't know. <laughs> The formerly Shopper City's uh, church. That, that's what it was. It was a Shopper City, wasn't it? Yeah. But your distinction shouldn't be in your name. The distinction shouldn't be in the particular style. This distinction shouldn't be in the particular preacher. This distinct, the distinction should be this. That over and against everybody who doesn't believe in Jesus Christ, you do. Praise God. That's the primary distinction that we need to communicate to the world. So Paul just says to the church at Corinth, Do you know how silly our differences would look if we came under persecution? 
I mean, if, if right now, let's just say things change, and maybe they will change someday, but if, if, if uh, people started getting fed to lions and families started getting taken captive and preachers started getting locked up and, and whatnot, do you know how fast we would find a way to get together and work on the same side? Because now it would be clear that we're on the same side over and against everyone who's not on our side. Maybe that would even be a positive thing. Because now we come to the awareness that we are fighting a war. We're behind enemy lines. We've got a job to do and we don't have time to divide over silly, stupid stuff. But we don't have a persecution and so we, do, we, we, we have too much time on our hands to fight shooting at each other because we don't see where the devil is to shoot at him. But see, the intensity and the passion of our faith should not be dictated by the fortunes or misfortunes of the political climate that we happen to be in. We should be as passionate and as vibrant about doing the work of God, whether we're being persecuted or not. Amen? Amen. So that just means this. We need to be real with our differences. I think differences are good. Let's talk about them. Let's debate them. Let's write books about them. Let's have forums about them. Let's really have it out. Put it out there. Let's learn from one another. And then let's be done with it and get on with some other kingdom work. Amen? Amen. Amen. Have a sense of priority. Because the people out there, the sinners out there, the person who's going to hell, who does not know, have any meaning in their life, they're wondering what life's all about, they're lost, they don't care. They don't give a rip about how you baptize. They don't give a rip about what your ontology of the future is. They don't give a rip about what the particulars of your incarnational theory is. What they need and what they want is the person of Jesus Christ. The fact is lost, we've lost it all. Discuss the other stuff. I'm not saying it's inconsequential. I'm not saying that. But with Paul, we have to have a sense of priority. Christ is the center. Many things could divide us, but Jesus Christ unites us. And if it's enough for Paul, it's enough for me. But what God's doing, I've got to get off this topic because I've got to move on to my next one. But, but I've I got to say this. See, what, what God is doing now, and it's exciting, is he's, he's uh, weaving together his body. He's, he's, the Spirit of God is basically saying this. You can pretty much ignore the, the, the distinctions of man. When it comes to uh, understanding the body of Christ, pretty much ignore them because God's ignoring them. God, I don't see God moving in one particular denomination more than another. It just isn't happening. Which tells me that from the divine perspective, there's nothing particularly special about one denomination as opposed to another. God is moving wherever there are people who will let God move. And He's moving across the board and He's beginning to unite the church at a level that's above all the silly distinctions that human beings make. This is why you've got a church like ours, the BGC Church, that's uh, having fellowship with, uh, with the Open Door. Uh, a CMA Church, Christian Missionary Alliance. And we're working with uh, Redeeming Love. So when we get in that block, we'll, there'll be a sister church. And they're assemblies of God. And we're not. No one cares. Praise God. And you know, when, when you get that together, amen, and when the church gets together like this, God shows up because God loves unity. He loves, he loves Christian unity. He loves, he loves the tearing down walls theme. He really does. God's into that. That's why at the end of last year when we got together with Open Door at Williams Arena, I couldn't believe all the people that showed up. It was incredible. Church, two churches uniting and God shows up, man. It was powerful. Uh, Heart of the Cities worship. I encourage you. Saturday night, this next Saturday night, Heart of the City. Dan Adler, we're just owning that, that ministry. Uh, we have a, a car caravan of people who come uh, to the service on Saturday night, and then afterwards they just go downtown Minneapolis and join with Heart of the City. And what, what Dan Adler's doing, and God's really anointing this, is he's, just, uh, he's exemplifying the unity among the diversity of the body of Christ. Uh, among racial lines and every other cultural lines and whatever. It's, it's, it's the most beautiful manifestation of the body of Christ, I think, that's going on in the Twin Cities right now. And God shows up. I mean, the power of the gospel is there. and it's, it's amazing. And I encourage you to be a part of that. If my voice holds out, and right now I think it's going to, uh, I, I'm, I'm speaking in Delano. I don't even know where it is, but I'm, I'm not sure. But I'm going there. And, and here's, what, here's what's happened. It's an incredible thing. There's this Catholic church, as I understand it, that started ministering to, to young people. Um, just started a youth movement kind of thing. God began to show up on this thing. Kids got, started getting saved, and it grew and grew and grew. 
And then they started uh, meeting in a gym, a high school gym. And it's growing, growing, growing. And some other churches started getting on board, praise God. And, and saying, how can we help with this thing? And they've got a youth revival of some sort going on there. Tonight they're having a rally. The Catholic Church, together with a bunch of other churches, who have decided to lay, lay, lay aside their anti-Catholic biases and get involved in this thing, they're putting together this major rally. And they want me to come and preach at this place tonight. And, yeah, amen. Look at this. The, the, the priest asked that I come and preach on why the Bible is the Word of God. That's the message I'm to bring to these kids, showing that the Bible is the Word of God. When I was being raised as a Catholic, we weren't supposed to read the Bible on our own because the priest was supposed to interpret it to us. But what this tells me is that God is really moving in the Catholic Church, praise God. And that there's a revival going on there. Hallelujah. And so there's unity being built in the body of Christ. And that, that's the unity I want to be a part of. Congregations and people uniting at a spiritual level and ignoring the distinctions of man. Let's move on to the next part here. <clears throat> We're going to get through the whole first chapter today, by the way. Okay. Okay, we're not. To the church of God that is in Corinth. Now look at this. To those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, together with all those who in everywhere, etc., etc., etc. Now look at this. To those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints. Now here's what I want you to know. The word sanctified there uh, literally means holy ones. To those who have been made holy in Christ Jesus to those who have been made holy. And then the word saints simply means called to be holy. Okay, same word, agioi. To those who have been made holy, who have been made saints, who are called to be saints. In other words, he's saying, to the saints who are called to be saints. To the holy ones who are called to be holy. Isn't that interesting? Isn't that weird? There's two things that are weird about this that I want us to get weirded out on. First is this. These Corinthians, you've got to know this, and we'll, we'll get into this more when we go along uh, in our study. But these Corinthians, uh, they were not at all what you'd normally think of as saints. When we think of saints, we think of a really righteous, holy, beaming, kind of a Mother Teresa kind of person, don't you? Oh, she's just a saint. Now, uh, we've got to stereotype what saints are supposed to be. They're supposed to be kind of one notch above us mere mortals. These Corinthians, if anything, were a notch below the mere mortals. Uh, get this. I'll let the cat out of the bag a little bit for you here. We'll get to it later on. They would get together for communion. And some of them would get drunk. On grape juice. They used grape juice back then, didn't they? Uh, they would get drunk. They'd have communion. And, and someone, you know, I got the wine. You got the bread. We're, gonna, we're supposed to celebrate the Christ sacrifice for us. Some would get inebriated. You'll find it later on in the book of Corinthians. And they wouldn't share their liquor with anybody else. In my communion. So the people who brought the bread, they'd say, fine, you're not getting anything to eat, which would make them more inebriated. Uh, and then you've got people stuffing the loaf of bread in their mouth while other people are shoving a bottle of wine down their mouth, and they're calling that communion. Not quite what you normally think of as saintly, is it now? They've got a guy who was apparently a leader in the church that was shacking up with his stepmother. And what made it really bad is that some of the people actually were saying that not only is this not wrong, this is okay because we're saved by grace. And that, that, that it was kind of a boastful thing. They were bragging about this. This is not what you'd normally call saintly. These people were prideful. They were having all sorts of fights and divisions. They were immature. They were trying to outspeak in tongues each other. Uh, you know, just, and they had that sort of a prideful thing. And it was nuts. It was, it was ludicrous. A lot of barbaric immorality going on. But Paul calls them holy to the holy ones. And it was, wasn't tongue-in-cheek. He meant it. Okay, how is that possible? And here's the second question. He calls them holy ones, but then he says, and you're called to be holy. 
Now, I could see the Corinthians maybe saying something like this. Um, well, what is it, Paul? You say we're holy, but then you say we're supposed to be holy. Um, are, either we're already holy or we're not. Now, what is it? How is it that you're holy, but you're called to be holy? How is it that these people can be holy in any sense of the word? And the answer is this. It's very important. It's crucial. This is foundational to your understanding of who you are in the body of Christ. Okay, ready? Ten minutes on this. It's going to be It's important. There's a difference the Bible makes between the already and the not yet. Who you already are, but what's not yet manifested. It's the distinction between the new self that you are and the old self that you were, but still hang on to. It's the distinction between your new nature, who you really are, your new nature in Christ, and your old habits, your old lifestyle, your old thought patterns. It's the distinction between who you are in Christ and who you are in the world, in terms of how the world defines you. You see, it's the distinction between the essence that God has made you to be the minute you believe, and old thought patterns and old uh, lifestyle that you had as, uh, uh, before you were a believer. Fundamental distinction that's going on here. The important point of this verse is this. Paul says, to those who are holy, where? In Christ. They're holy in Christ. He didn't say they're holy in their behavior. He didn't say that they're holy in all their the- theological thinking. They were holy in Christ. See, it's like this. When you become a believer... You know, the, the first service I was trying to talk calms to save my voice. And at this point, I just lost it because this is good stuff. Um, I, 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 I couldn't. I was trying to do this FM baritone kind of calm style. You see, when you are a believer, you get put in Jesus Christ. And all the things of God belong to you. And I can't do it. So, you know, it's like, Lord, you're going to have to take care of this voice because this stuff gets too exciting. I, I got I to gotta shoot it. Sorry. Can't do it. Somebody give me some Valium or something. Call me down. But it's like this. When you become a believer, this is the truth. When you become a believer, when you, when you put your trust in Jesus Christ, the Bible says you are put in Christ Jesus. You're put in. You've got to think of it like this. Like, I just analogies came to me here. If I can get this top off. It's like, here's a, here's a, here's a uh, jug of water, bottle of water. And, and, and do you have a penny or something? You can. Well, if you had a penny. Do you have a penny? Do you have some gum? Oh, okay, this. Okay, here's the halls. I should really take this pipe and put it in there. Anyways, I put the halls in the water. The halls is now in the water. This is getting profound. <laughs> in just the same way, when you become a believer, you're put in Christ Jesus. And what that means is this. With the halls, everything that pertains to the water now pertains to the halls. When I look at the halls, I've got to look at it through the water. If the water is wet, the halls is wet. Hmm? You following this? If the, if, the, if the water is up here, the halls is up here. You know, whatever, whatever is true about the water is also true about the halls because the halls is in the water. So also, when you become a believer, you're put into Christ. And here's the glory of glories, the best news you could ever possibly hear in all of your life. The news which, I don't care how miserable your life may be, if you understand what I'm going to say now, you can't help but be happy about it because you've got more going for you than anybody else on the planet who doesn't know this. The truth is this, when you become a believer, God takes you in some spiritual way and takes you out of where you were, which was the kingdom of darkness, and puts you in Christ Jesus. So now whatever is true of Christ Jesus by nature gets applied to you by grace. Amen. Amen. So how... Amen. How can Paul say that the Corinthians are holy when they're so screwed up? The answer is that he's not looking at the Corinthians in their screwed upness. He's looking at the Corinthians as they are in Christ Jesus, praise God. And in Christ Jesus, they are holy. Jesus is holy, and as a gift, God gives that holiness to the Corinthians. Christ is righteous, the Corinthians are righteous. Uh, Christ is blessed with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places, 
So the Corinthians are blessed with every spiritual blessing in, 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 the, in the heavenly places. The Father loves the Son with an everlasting, passionate love. And now the Corinthians are in the Son, so the, God, the Father loves the Corinthians with an everlasting love. All that pertains to the person of Jesus Christ, when you believe, pertains to you, because now you're in the person of Jesus Christ. Praise God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. That's, that's as good as it gets. You see, and so it's like this. Because what Paul's saying is, you are holy in Christ, therefore you're called to be holy. See, the nature that has changed, when, when, when the Bible says that you're holy, when the Bible says that you're spotless, when the Bible says that you're radiant, when the Bible says that you're dead to sin, it's not pretending. It's not saying it's as if though that thing were true. That is what is true about you. That's your new nature. Old things have passed away. That's what's true about you. Okay, that's your new reality. And if that's your new reality, then it should lead to a new life. A new way of thinking about things. A new way of living about things. So Paul says, because you are holy in Christ, therefore you're called to be holy. You see, your nature determines your behavior. If I met a human being that was acting like a dog, I would say, you're a human being, stop acting like a dog. Now you don't stop acting like a dog to become a human being. You're already a human being, so stop acting like a dog. Follow what I'm saying here. So also, you don't, Paul doesn't say... Try to become holy so that you can be in Christ Jesus. Try to become righteous so you can be in Christ Jesus. Do a bunch of good deeds because so you can be in Christ Jesus. What he says is because you're in Christ Jesus, live holy. Because you're in Christ Jesus, live good. Because you're in Christ Jesus, embark in good deeds. You've got to get the cart uh, following the horse. Don't get it screwed up. It's kind of like this. Let's say that one of you went on, wants to be a millionaire and actually made it to the top. Has anyone ever made it to the top there? I've never seen it. Has someone actually win it? Okay. I think the questions are too hard. They should make it easier. But, you go out there and you win a million dollars. Now, here's the thing. If I were to tell you, uh, I, live, like, live like a millionaire so that you can become a millionaire, it wouldn't work very well, would it? Because if you started living like a millionaire, assuming that you're not a millionaire, uh, you would become the opposite. You'd go broke really quick. I, I'm going to act like a millionaire. I'm going to go out and buy a Porsche, you know, or something like that. Um, well, you're going to go broke really quick. Trying to become a millionaire when you're not a millionaire is the best way never to become a millionaire. But see, if you are a millionaire, then I could tell you to act like a millionaire and quit finding food in the garbage. You see, quit acting like a pauper, like a beggar, because you are a millionaire. The point is this. You can act like a millionaire if you are a millionaire, but if you're not a millionaire, you're never going to get there by trying to act like a millionaire. So also it is with the things of God. Either you got it for free or you're never going to get it. And the more you try to get it, the more you're just going to separate yourself from it. You see? If you're trying to inch your way to heaven, if you're trying to climb the little ladder of heaven, trying to get up there, trying to become righteous by little, little steps and little good deeds here and there, uh, you're never going to get there because the kind of righteousness you need is God's righteousness. God will never compromise himself in order to enter into a relationship. He can. He's God. You have to be compatible with God to be related to God. And you're never going to become compatible with God, which is perfect holiness and perfect righteousness, by trying to inch your way there one step at a time. The only way to get there is by God giving it to you for free. And that's what he does when you believe in Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. That's the grace of the gospel. That's the goodness of the gospel. You are right now, if you're a believer, loved, holy. You are loved with an everlasting love. You are worth more than, than, than words could ever speak. Because the, the price that is more than it could ever be spoken was paid for you. You are this moment sitting here holy before God because you're in Christ Jesus. Now, you may not think like that. You don't. You may not act perfectly like that. You don't. But you're never going to get your thoughts and behavior to line up with what you should be doing unless you first realize that you have it ahead of time. God gives the whole kit and caboodle ahead of time. 
And everything else in life is a footnote to that. Everything else in life, all the change, all the growth, all the striving, all the discipleship, all the work that we get involved in, and there is that. It's a matter not of acquiring something you don't already have, but of manifesting something you already have. See what I'm saying? And so Paul says to the Corinthians, you are holy and called to be holy. In other words, you're king's kids. Start living like a king's kid. You are dead to sin. You'll find this all the time in Paul. Whenever he wants to talk ethics, do's and don'ts, he precedes it, almost always, he precedes it by a, you are. Here's what you are, therefore live this way. Okay, you are this, therefore live this way. Don't live this way to become this. You are this, therefore live this way. Look at First Corinthians chapter, or, uh, Romans chapter 6. Paul says this. There's some people there who are saying what a lot of people maybe right now are saying in this congregation. I don't know. Well, look at if we're saved by for free. If I'm in Christ Jesus, then if God is going to you know, treat me as holy no matter what I do with it, I'm going to go out right now and smoke a reefer and get high and, and get drunk and get laid. I'm just going to go all the way. And why should I care? If I'm saved by grace, I'm just going to go all the way. You know, there are people in the first century who were saying that with the Romans. Uh, they're saying, shall we sin that grace may abound? Shall we sin that grace may abound? Paul says this in verse 2. Meganito! No way! Impossible! Your thinking is all screwed up. He doesn't say, if you do that, you're not going to be a believer. What he says is, you're a believer, therefore don't do that. He says this, don't you know, builds to the baptism, that when, you do, that when you became a believer, when you were bar- baptized, you were buried with Christ. Your old self died with Christ. Okay, your old self is gone. That self that was a slave, a little pawn to Satan, that self is dead now. And the sin that had a hold on you is dead now. And you've been raised with Christ Jesus. You've got a new life. When Christ died, you died. When He rose, you rose. And the life you now live, you live in Christ Jesus. And Christ is holy and He lives to God. Therefore, you are holy and you live to God. Why would you stoop so low into that kind of smut and junk that you've been involved in? You're above that. You're a king's kid. You don't need that stuff anymore. Get mad at the devil who's trying to lie to you and steal that from you. Live like a king's kid. You're righteous, live righteous. You're holy, live holy. You're blessed in Christ Jesus, live like you're blessed in Christ Jesus. You're victorious over the devil, live victorious over the devil. Don't submit to his stupid slavery anymore, amen? That's what it's about. Living like a king's kid. Hallelujah. You're a human being, don't live like a dog. You're a believer, don't live like a carnal non-Christian. Okay, live out the truth of who you are. Final two, two points here. Uh, closing two points. One is this to, to, to us individually. Think about, think about the reality of who you are in Christ Jesus. Every good thing I could possibly say about you is already true about you if you're a believer. You're as holy as you're going to get. You're as righteous as you're going to get. You're as filled with the Spirit as you're going to get. You're good. You know, you, you've got that as a believer for free up front. Why? Because you put your trust in Jesus Christ and He gives you that righteousness. You don't think that and you don't live that consistently, neither do I. But you've got to know it ahead of time if you're ever going to bring the rest of your life into congruity with it. And celebrate that fact. I don't care how bad things are right now in your life, and maybe they're absolutely pathetic. But if you understand this one truth about who you are, whose you are, who owns you, who died for you, what your nature is, what your destiny is, you can't, that dwarfs in significance everything else about you. Praise God. So celebrate this one truth. I'd rather be a Christian with nothing else going for me than a non-Christian with everything else going for me. Jesus put it like this, what does it profit you if you lose the whole world, if you gain the whole world but lose your soul? On the other hand, if you gain your soul and lose the whole world, what difference does it make? So also, if you're a believer, 
Think about this. Rejoice in it. Get happy about it. Get excited about it. Thank God for it. Praise God. You've got a trillion times more than a million dollars going for you right now, and it lasts forever and ever. Second thing is this. Know who you are. Know who you are in Christ. Think about that a lot. Secondly, we need to cut each other the same slack that Paul cut the Corinthians. Uh, you know, Paul, I, I, I know a lot of problem churches. There's some churches out there that really got, that, that have some problems. In fact, every church I know has problems. Except ours. We don't have any problems. <laughs> now, you know what? Wherever you're going to find people, you're going to find problems. So you get used to that. But uh, I know a lot of churches with a lot of problems. But I don't know any church where they're getting drunk at communion and they got deacons sleeping with their mother-in-laws. I mean, uh, Corinthians, they, 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 they took it to a new low. Uh, you know, and stuff. But Paul calls him. Now, he's going to later on ream him out in Jesus' name. But right now, he's calling him holy. He says, you're saints. You're part of the called out ones in the body of Christ. He understands how it's possible to not have your act together and still have your, 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 your uh, soul united with Christ. And if that's true of the Corinthians, it's true of all of us. We need to cut each other slack. The slack that Paul cut the Corinthians, we need to cut it to each other. You know, I'm still a little rough around the edges. Have you noticed that? I, 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 don't, uh, uh, I don't fit into the Christian mold real well. I sometimes say things and I thought, oh, maybe I shouldn't have said that. Uh, and my wife thinks maybe you shouldn't have said that. You know, my friends are saying, I can't believe you said that. <laughs> you know, I'm rough around the edges. You know, God's still working on me. I'm still in process. Uh, I just thank God for the things I don't say. <laughs> you know, like, you, know, you think I'm bad now, man. Ten years ago, you know, this place would be empty. Um, but, you know, God's, God's doing the work and he's in process. And God's doing the work with you, too. And we're all in process on it. And it doesn't mean that we condone sin at all. No, we, we, we come down on that like God comes down on it. But we come down on it not in order to get a person to be, become something they're not, but in order to get them to manifest something they already are. You see what I'm saying? So we need to understand, look beyond the outside and see the redeemed, the redeemed nature of the person on the inside. We're called out ones by, uh, by, by Jesus Christ. And so we need to be gracious towards each other even as God is gracious towards us. Amen? I love the Lord. I just love the Lord. Praise God. I love the Lord. I love the Lord. Let's stand. If the prayer team would come up here, I'd appreciate it. And uh, I would like to just say this. Um, I appreciate you folks standing by the walls over here too deep. Uh, six months. Six months we're going to have a bunch of chairs. There'll be 18 million poles in the way, but, you know, at least we'll have enough chairs. Um this morning, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, why on earth would you want to leave here with that unresolved? You might get in a car wreck on the way home. I'm not trying to scare you. I'm just talking reality. Everything I just said that is true about a believer applies to you when the Bible says you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord. And so I would encourage you, as soon as we're done praying, in fact, even while we're praying, beat the crowd. As I'm praying, come on down here and just join with one of these people and they'll lead you in this prayer. Or maybe you have something else that you need to pray about. Um, maybe there's a conflict going on in your life or confusion or whatever. Um, I, I invite you to stick around a little bit and pray with the folks who are up here. Would you step on the, on the, on the steps so they can see your good-looking faces? Yeah. So if you want to come down while I'm praying, uh, feel free to. Um, or afterwards, it's fine too. Father, I am right now uh, weak in my body, but my spirit is just exploding. Because I feel like I see a little bit, it's a little bit more clearer than I did yesterday. Uh, the tremendous, unthinkably wonderful reality of what you have done for me and what you've done for every person who simply says yes to you. We are overwhelmed by your grace, overwhelmed by your goodness, overwhelmed by your mercy. I don't get it. 
Never have. I don't think I ever will because it goes beyond what my limited understanding can ever fathom. Your love for us. Well, Father, we rejoice in it and we thank you for it, Lord God. And I pray that as we go out of here, we go out with a real confident sense of who we are. Part of the one body of Christ throughout the world. And the thing that makes us part of that body is that we know who you are and you've redefined who we are, praise God. And next to that, every other difference is inconsequential. I pray, Lord God, for any person here who maybe doesn't know you, I pray, Lord, that you call them forward right now and, and, and alter their eternal destiny, praise God. Now, Lord God, let your spirit be honest as we go out of this place with the aroma, the sweet aroma, the sweet fragrance of Jesus Christ linger on us to a world that desperately needs to know the truth. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. We love you guys. See you at the 50s dance. God bless. The altar is open.